good morning. I, I wanted to share this before service, but as you could tell, we had a lot of things going on. But uh, on the way here this morning, I just heard this phrase, equipped through celebration. And I instantly thought of Philippians 4, where it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then we uh, got into that last song where we're singing scripture, right? We're, we're declaring it, we're believing it. But I feel like there is a power when we actually begin to actually celebrate. When was the last time we got a good celebration on of the truth of God's word? What we believe will cause us naturally to erupt in celebration, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So I just want to challenge myself and our church to not only read scripture, not only to believe it, but to celebrate the truth of God's word. Celebrate the truth. Celebrate the peace that surpasses all understanding. Celebrate the word of the Lord over your life. Celebrate it over your families. When we come here on Sunday mornings, part of our vision is to equip. And I believe that somehow mysteriously equipping happens when we celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. Amen? Amen. You know, that's, uh, that's part of uh, Ephesians 6. You know, it talks about how that we have to put on certain things, right? You got to put it on. You got to put on the helmet of salvation. You got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I think that's a mental, a mental switch when we begin to acknowledge what the Lord's done for us. Y'all know what I mean? It's like when you're, when you're, sometimes we forget the realities that we're, uh, that we have put our hope in. And so that's good. Good morning. If you consider this your home church, and even if you don't, uh, I highly recommend, strongly, strongly recommend you go back and listen to last week's message because there was some foundation for what we're trying to do here at the church that we laid out, some stuff the Lord gave us while we were we were on a, um, a retreat a couple, I guess, what, how was it, two weekends ago, Josh? Leadership went on a retreat just to seek the Lord. You know, we, we want to make sure that we're accomplishing what he wants because this is his church ultimately. And we want to make sure that as stewards, we're in line with what he's doing. And so we just went to seek the Lord <clears throat> to get to know each other better, to, to, to develop relationships among us, but also to really hear from the Lord. And, and I felt like that last, there's a lot of good things that happened on that trip. And um, as, as y'all can, as you know, when you go to take time and energy and money invested in seeking God, you know, if you seek, you shall find and there's such important things to do these little things where you get away with people. And um, But that last uh, day that we were there, we felt like some, the Lord began to highlight some things that uh, were important as a strategy for our church. And so we've brought that back. We've, we, we shared it. We feel like it's key. And um, a lot of it has to do with the vision for the church. And the scripture says, you know, write the vision and make it plain so those that hear it may run. We all, you know, we all have individual callings, but we have a corporate calling. We talked about that last week, and it's imperative that we fight for that calling. And God's will does not just happen. Y'all understand that? God's will does not just happen. It, ha- it, it, 
it happens when God's people, who he has released authority to, begin to align themselves with his purpose and begin to, con- begin to um, in a- alignment and um, in co-laboring with God, then we see the kingdom of God get released. If it just happened, then why would Jesus need us to pray prayers like, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, if it just happens, why would that be necessary? And so it becomes necessary that we engage in God. And you know, prophetic words are just invitations, really. They're invitations to something in the heart of God that he wants to release if we respond. And, that, and we know that is true in Hebrews chapter 3. We're talking about the children of Israel. We're going into the promised land because they were given promises. And then we find out that a whole generation didn't receive the promise that God said they would receive. He told them, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have homes you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant and all that good stuff. They go into the desert They didn't believe the Lord. They didn't act on his word. They didn't follow him with faith. And according to Hebrews 4, it says that they did not receive the promises because they did not combine the hearing with faith. And so there was a faith that was required for them to enter into the promise of God. And they didn't enter in because of their doubt and unbelief, and they died in the desert. And a lot of times we find that a lot of our promises as, as individuals die in deserts because we don't, we don't do the things that are required of us to co-labor with the Lord to see him come about. But anyway, I'm not going to re-preach the message. Um, I just want you to go and take a listen to it because if you consider this your church, you need this in your foundation because this is where we're going and we want you to be on the same page with us. Does that, does that make sense? So uh, you can get that. It will be up on the podcast probably this week. How many knew we had a podcast? Okay, about half of us. We have a podcast. Uh, You can get that on our website. Please don't ask me what the website is. (laughs) Just Google Morningstar Wilmington. It'll come up. Um, And that'll be up probably this week. Jesse's been on vacation. Them and Peter, that's why Peter hadn't been here for the last two weeks. They've been on vacation uh, in Hatteras and should be coming back today. So that will be up. If you want to watch it right away, I think it's on YouTube. You can watch the video of it. So you can go ahead and listen to that if you'd like to. So, all right. Um, got a couple things I want to do today, um, and I've just been kind of listening to the Lord a little bit. Uh, the, in conjunction with last week, I just wanted to remind everybody, Just and, I, and I'm going to do this periodically just so it's fresh in our memories, Let's see who all remembers. What are some of the things that the Lord has spoken to us about our calling as a church? Well, first of all, let's start like this. What are the three main pillars or goals that we have as a church? That's right. That's perfect. We want you all to, 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 to know that so you can pray and be engaged in seeing that manifested in our church. We want the presence of God in this place. That's our goal. Lord, you be welcome here. Let your presence be here. We want you to be happy here. Second, we want to equip the saints for the work of service. That's our, our stated goal. And then the third, we want to be a family. We don't want this to be like some organizational thing that doesn't have the, the blood and the, 
you know, of, of what a body really is supposed to be. It's, it's alive and we're, we're family and we're, we're functioning as people who love each other and who do life together because that's what our calling. And, um, but some other things are, there was a word that kept coming up over and over again when, when early on when I took over as pastor that Paul had gotten and it just kept, it resonated and it was just that there would be a rumor that Jesus was in our midst. You know, there's a scripture that talks about there was a rumor about the Lord. And and we want there to be a rumor because of the Lord is moving in this place so powerfully that, it, that you don't have to advertise a fire. I think Josh was the one that th- said that before, but uh, it kind of, you don't have to. It, you see the smoke, you see the signs, you know, and we want it to be like that in this church where the people of God that are in here, they're on fire. And they're going after something, and when they're, um, and that the Lord is doing stuff in our midst. But you know how the Lord's going to do this in our midst? It's not coming through me. That's part of last week's message. It's coming through you. So be the body. Every time, you know, long before I was a pastor, anytime I would go into any church, I would, you know, I would try to be sensitive to the Lord and say, Lord, do you have anything for anybody? And I, me- I remember I went through a season where I would, the Lord would, um, he had me church hopping, not because I was looking for a church. He was wanting me to hear what was going on in the rest of the body because I had been one, in one stream for a long time, the stream I'm in now, still in. But he just wanted me to see what was going on. And so I started visiting other churches. And it, I was amazed at every church I went to, most, a lot of these churches probably didn't function in prophecy. And I would get words for people right there. And when I'd share it with them after church, it would be very dramatic for people and it would help them or, you know, and it may, it doesn't have to be prophecy. It's whatever God's gifted you with, whatever you're walking in, give it away everywhere you go. Be sensitive to the Lord using you wherever you're at, wherever you're at. When you come into this church, you should be ready to give words. When you go into the grocery store, you should be sensitive to see the Lord use you because he wants to. You're the way God's going to reach people. You're it. You're the way God's going to reach people. It's not me. I mean, he's going to use me too, but he wants to use you. Man, come on. (laughs) I'm going to turn around and preach to the wall. (laughs) All right. So... Uh, the other, so, some of the other things is that we really do believe the Lord is is bringing, and, and this is something we're declaring, and I'm declaring it right now, that this place is going to be a healing well. It's going to be. Now, we talked last week about how no promise of God is an instant thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, it is a, a promise of God is an invitation to a fight. <laughs> you, here's what I want to do. Now, go fight for it. You know, and so we believe this is supposed to be a healing well, and we're fighting, contending for that. We want people to come in here and leave healed. We don't want them. To, we want them to come in sick and leave healed. That's the kingdom. That's the one thing. I'm, if can I can I air just kind of air an opinion, a little bit of criticism on a very popular and enjoyable. Uh, awesome TV show today is the the Chosen. I love that show. It's a great show. But one of the things that irks me is that 
he, he has disciples that are following him around and, and they're sick. And I just have, I just, I just, I can't see that. The Jesus I know healed, healed them all. The Jesus I know was a healer. And even though he is healing in the show, and the show is awesome, uh, you know, he's got one particular disciple in that show that's been following him and doing the work. And Jesus is like, and then there's a blind lady that comes often with their group. And the Lord, and, and, and she leaves blind? Nah, I'm sorry. I don't believe that. I don't buy that. Jesus Christ healed every single person that came to him. There's only a few places where he denied it, and in those very places, he still healed them. Like the woman with the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter. They, he said no, and then she kept going. So well, you've heard me preach that a thousand times in here. So we're going to contend for Jesus the healer to be manifest in our midst. Matter of fact, if you got some sickness on you today, we're going to pray for, it, for it's up. Uh, I had a dream last night that I wanted to share, and then I'm going to jump into what what I'm feeling, and it's kind of a hodgepodge of stuff today. All right, so I had this dream last night, and in the dream, it was real short and sweet, but I wanted to just put legs to it, and so that, you know, I believe this may be something the Lord is wanting to do, but I had, I know this is something the Lord wants to do, but I had the dream, this dream that I was experiencing this thing, and I don't even know how to describe it to you, but it was the Holy Spirit, like he was with me in this dream. And I began to experience him in a way that he was giving me a word that the Lord wanted to release visions and dreams. And, um, and so I had this word from the Holy Spirit, and I came to this church, which was also, y'all know how back in the, like the 1800s and 1700s, when communities were built, the church really would usually be the schoolhouse too. It was schoolhouse during the week and church on Sundays or whatever. Well, this is the way it was. It was a church house that was also a schoolhouse. And I think that's prophetic. The church is supposed to be a school. It should be a school. And when you're a school, you, you learn things. And when you learn them, you learn them to do them, not just to have head knowledge, right? You don't learn how to frame a house if you're not going to frame a house. You know what I mean? You don't learn how to be a doctor if you're not going to practice you know, medicine. There's, you learn things so that you can apply them to your life. And the church is supposed to be a schoolhouse. But when I walked in, it was mostly full of women, which I think is pretty typical, unfortunately. I mean, look around. What's the ratio of women to men in here? I mean, there's, this, there's certainly some men in here. But, but you know what I mean? Usually, a lot of times, women pre- are the predominant uh, people in the in the in services, and that's kind of the way it was. And I come in, and I and I just had to make this announcement of what the Lord had told me to share, and I didn't know how people were going to respond to it because I came in kind of on the back end of the, and I just came in and I said, "Well, this I knew the Lord told me to do this." So I just stood up and I said, "I'm telling you today that the Holy Spirit has spoke to me, and He wants you to know He's wanting to release visions and dreams." And if you want them, you can have them. God's going to begin to release them. And, you know, we know that in Acts uh, 2, I think it's 2.17, that Peter, in his famous opening sermon to the multitude for the birth of the church, that's the word that he came from the book of Joel. It says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? 
And, he's, and he says, he, he begins to happen that your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Your young man will see visions. Your old man will dream dreams. The Lord wants to release prophetic anointing on his people. But in the dream, it was interesting because there was this feeling that some wouldn't receive it. And I believe that's true today. Even, in, in, believe it or not, I even believe it's highly, there's a high percentage of people, even inside the charismatic movement, who will fight you over the fact that God speaks today that doesn't receive prophetic words. <laughs> if you really believe it, it will impact your life. You'll, you'll receive it. You'll do it. If you really believe it, function in it. God is releasing. I'm telling you by the word of the Lord, the Lord is releasing prophetic visions, prophetic dreams to anybody who's willing to say yes to it. He's doing it. And Lord, I just pray that right now, release of your Holy Spirit in this place. Release a new level of revelation, a mantle of the prophetic, Lord God. Words, Lord, from heaven. Father, give us dreams and visions that are from you. Dreams and visions from you. Thank you, Lord. If you want it, it's there. He's releasing it. Now here, let me tell you something, though. Everybody, most people don't have a problem with dreams. Everybody dreams. Visions, people have trouble with. You know why? Because they expect some, all of a sudden they're watching a movie, theater, a movie screen. And that's how they expect visions to be. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, I have had incredible prophetic words that have been accurate for people I've had some that happened too, but I've had some really good ones that came through subtle visions. I've, 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 I don't know if I've had very many, I don't know if I've ever had an absolutely open vision, but I have had thousands and thousands of subtle little visions. And when I say that, what I mean by that is that just something pops up into my, my mind's eye. I can have my eyes open and not see it, but yet I see it all of a sudden in my head. You know what I mean? And those are visions. I've seen things like that. I've had a number of words of knowledge for people's healing where I would see, saw something on somebody's nose like a sinus thing. I've gotten this numerous times, and sure enough, the person didn't. I was ministering at Global River one time on a God night. I called a lady out. I saw her, like her nose just flare up in my mind's eye, very subtle, could have totally dismissed it and said this was just my own imagination. But I stepped out in faith with it. Sure enough, the lady was having significant sinus issues with her nose. I would have missed it if I didn't put faith in the little subtle things that I was seeing. And I'm telling you that the majority of people are missing the visions of God because they judge things that are light, subtle. Remember Moses when he was visiting with the Lord or the Lord was visiting him and there was the earthquake and then there was the, the loud noise, the loud wind, but it was when it got real quiet. That's when he covered. And the same thing happened to Elijah. They both had kind of the same experience where 
the Lord shows up, but it's in a subtle way, and they had, and, and that's when they began to see the Lord. And the Lord is coming to us many times through the, with these visions, but they're so subtle we don't put faith in them. And you know, this if I didn't, you know, like this step. There's a step here. If I really believe that, I don't mind putting my weight on it. You see? That thing's solid. But if I'm questioning whether or not this thing's going to hold me, you know, that's the, you know but, but you have to put weight on it before, for you to believe it's, you know? And at doing construction, as I do, there's been a lot of things that look like, you know what, I'm not getting on that. <laughs> that doesn't look safe to me. But when you believe something, you put your weight on it. I'm on a three. I'm up three stories right now. Something I've been physically myself framing, which is why I've been so tired lately. And uh, and I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, this thing is three stories up in the air. I have a view of the beach and the intercoastal waterway, and I have this incredible view from this height. I am really high up in the air, and I built this thing. I better have built it well. And the fact that I'm standing on it shows that I have confidence in what was built. Because I'm up high, because if it, if it was no good, I would fall. That's the way subtle visions are. You grow in faith that this is the Lord, and then you put weight on it and you step out. But if you won't step out with it, you'll never know if it really is the Lord. And so anyway, the Lord's releasing that. I wanted to encourage that. That is not what anything to do with my message, and I'm not even going to be long today. Um, so I say said that before, hadn't I? Um, no, I do. I think the Lord wants to do some stuff today. I'm going to, um, you know, if you guys are getting words for people, that's awesome. We'll have an opportunity to share that. But I did feel like uh, the, the Lord's highlighted one little thing for me to do today. Um, and I don't really have this thing nailed down, but I know the, the, it's something that's on the Lord's heart, and he keeps highlighting it to me. This is, the, I think, not in a row, but the second week recently where I felt the Lord highlight something to me. And it may be something y'all have heard me say a thousand times, but here at a thousand and one, because I do feel like it's the Lord. I want to talk to you just briefly about reaching people. And I say it like that because I don't, you know, if I use the word evangelism like I just did, immediately a wall goes up. There's a wall that goes up as soon as you say the word evangelism. For most people. It's not meant to be that way. Now, I understand that wall because I have those walls that constantly go up and down in my heart all the time because of fear. I'm very timid. I'm a very timid person. I know y'all don't believe that, but it's the truth. I deal with a lot of fear and anxiety over ministering to people out in the streets. And I'm telling you that because if, if the Lord can use me in my weakness, he can use you too. It's not, it's not strength that God's interested in. He's not. He's interested in your willingness. If you're willing, God can use you. If you're unwilling, he can't use you. He can only use willing. And I want to give you some keys to evangelism. But let me say it like this, keys just to help people. That's really all it is. What we're doing, what we're talking about is keys to help people. 
And when you look at it that way, it kind of hopefully takes away the, the stigma and maybe some of the fear that the enemy uses to keep us from helping people. How many want to help somebody? All ministry, all ministry is as simple as just helping somebody. That is the root of all ministry, helping somebody. Um, let me read something. I just, I read this this morning and I thought this was so amazing. It's not exactly, it's not exactly what um, I'm talking about, but yet it is. Um, I got this email this morning from a, a guy at Morningstar. Let me see if I can find it. Sorry, guys. That email just disappeared. Maybe I deleted it. I didn't mean to if I did. All right. Well, that is really weird. There even were replies on this email. Oh, maybe it was a... Oh, there it is. I had to, I had to search it. It wasn't coming up. All right, so this is a story from a book that my this guy I know from Morningstar's writing. Uh, he's the realtor out there. I've known him for years, probably 25 years. And uh, he, the title of this is When a House Buys a Person. This is a little bit long. Are y'all up for a little bit of a long story? This is really long. <laughs> uh, but it's so amazing. And this is just an example of how really at the root of all ministry is just the ministry of helps. I want to help people come up. When a house buys a person, this is by David Herb. I couldn't believe what was coming out of my mouth. I had just taken a call from a dear friend, Russ Weaver. Dave, I want to come to you to list I want you to come list my house. This of course is a realtor's dream call. Trainers coach us to lead the conversation to something like, Would you like me to come over tonight at seven or would tomorrow morning at ten be better? Instead, what came out of my mouth was Russ, you don't want to sell your house right now. Hang on to it. We're in a buyer's market right now, and buyers are eating sellers alive. Besides, it's late October, and the next four months will be doubly slow. This is not current. This He's telling a story. Um, hanging up, I began exp- questioning myself. Why didn't I run over there and get that listing? I'm used. While I even, will I even make it as a realtor? My trainers had ingrained into me adage number one, be honest, sure, but be sure to get the listing. After all, I need the business. Russ was a true friend. He stood about six foot two, had a workman's rough hands and a compelling, honest face. Just a few syllables into a conversation and one knew Russ was a true Southerner. He was the type of person you couldn't help loving the minute you met him. Mary Sue, his wife, complimented the charm in every way. You knew if you were going to their home, Southern hospitality dictated serving dessert no matter what time of day it was. Two weeks later, Russ called again. Dave, can you come over and list the house tomorrow night at 7? That was supposed to be my line from the other day. After discussing the pros and cons of listing in November, I arranged the meeting. I asked all the pertinent questions I needed to know about the property, then offered I'll work on finding comparable properties and be prepared to discuss a detailed valuation with you. Don't bother. I already know what I want for it. Oh, yeah? How much? $134,000. It sounded high, but I hadn't done the homework yet, so I kept my mouth shut. Oh, and by the way, that's not what I'm asking. That's how much we're going to get. Love your spirit. (laughs) See you tomorrow night. (laughs) 
was Dave's response. The valuation process proved to be quite challenging. Rush's house was a non-conforming modular home on three acres in a suburban market where site-built homes are a quarter acre on a quarter acre are the norm. This one would be a tough to appraise. After looking at recent sales in the area, tax records, general appreciation over the time Russ owned the property, and anything else I could think of, the highest value I could come up with was 114000 I met with my broker, my sales coach, and anyone else in the office who would listen and offer advice. They, the consensus was that in the soft market, you don't want to list anything above 5% over market value. This rationale got me to a list price of 119900 in preparation for our meeting, I brushed up on all my training on overcoming the pitfalls of overpricing your home. Our trainers equipped me with some great tools for this very purpose. As I walked through the house, it didn't take long to know this would be a unique sale. Russ was adding on a garage, but it was unfinished. It looked like a project he stated a lo- he started a long time ago and abandoned. Inside was a spacious modular home with an excellent floor plan. However, modular homes of today have come a long way from this one. At that point, a modular was indistinguishable from a double-wide mobile home. You could look up and see where the two halves joined. Worse yet, looking down the floors didn't join smoothly. If I recall, the north side of the house was a half an inch higher than the south side of the house. Don't get me wrong. Along with its issues, the house had some lovely features, not the least of which was that it was situated on three wooded acres sloping to a creek. Russ had four-wheeler paths throughout the property. My training reminded me that there is a buyer for every house. Someone will fall in love with this benef- of the benefits offered and be blind to the drawbacks. Sitting at the kitchen table, I discovered the price that I discovered the price was non-negotiable. But Russ, haven't I demonstrated that the price should be one hundred nineteen thousand nine hundred? Well, that was the worst. That was what the papers say. But the Lord told me you would sell it for one hundred thirty-four thousand. How do you argue with that? Every bit of training I've accumulated and every whit of common sense told me I should walk away from this one. Yet something inside was compelling me to do it Russ's way. Again, I couldn't believe what came out of my mouth. Okay, the price is 134000 Once Russ and Mary Sue signed all the paperwork, we took pictures and showed the home favorably. I crafted what I thought was a great write-up and released the marketing team to get the word out everywhere. We got the results... We got the results you would expect on a profoundly overpriced home. Nothing. No showings, no calls, nothing. After about a month, in the second week of December, we had our first showing. To my delight, the buyer's agent called and said they were presenting an offer. I expected it presenting an offer. I expected it to come in low, so again I brushed up on my skills at helping a seller be realistic. To my surprise and delight, the offer came in at one hundred and twenty one thousand. When presenting it, I reminded Russ and Mary Sue that we would have done very well if the house sold for 114000 This offer was 7000 above that. This buyer really wanted this house. Sounds a little low, doesn't it? Russ drawled. I thought we listed it for 134000 Yes, but I tried every trick in the book to get my friend to be reasonable. I didn't want them to miss this opportunity. I fear it would be a very long time before another offer came along. And what's this about a buyer's agent? I want you to sell the house. What followed was a rather wordy rehashing of what we discussed at the listing table about how real estate agency works. It is uncommon for the listing agent to have the opportunity to show, let alone sell his own listing. I guess I left off some details about what the Lord showed me, Russ explained. I had no intention of selling my home. 
one day while praying for your business, I just, and this is where he discovered Russ had been praying for him regularly. I prayed, Lord, please bless Dave's business. The Lord told me, why don't you bless his business? Okay, how do I do that? Have him sell your home. That's when he told me you would sell the house for 134000 No pressure there, Dave's thinking. If I don't sell this home myself without the help of the multiple listing service, I'll let down my friend and God. On top of that, Russ insisted on what seemed to be an exorbitant price. The buyer's agent advised his client not to give us our asking price, so the offer never became a contract. Again, another three weeks of painful silence, then I received a call. A deep female smoker's voice said, Tell me what we have to do to buy that house. Would you like an appointment to see it? As soon as possible, please, because this, that's the house we're going to buy. That's the price my banker told me I qualified for, and that's the, and that's the right where we want to be. This call was starting to sound promising. We made an appointment. Russ and Mary Sue wanted to be present when the buyers arrived to meet them. Realtors do not recommend this practice, but I'd given up fighting Russ's way. When Sheila and her husbands drove up, it became evident that life had been hard on them. They clambered up the drive in an old, dilapidated truck. Somehow their faces matched the vehicle, pleasant but displaying heavy wear. After introductions, we found them genuine and loving. Most remarkable was how transparent they were. Alcohol had ravaged their lives and destroyed their former marriages. Later, I learned that Sheila had hit bottom. She lost everything, including her family and the roof over her head. She lived in her car for several months with no job, no money, and no friends other than the cursed bottle. The bottom was the daily social service snatched away. The bottom was the day social services snatched away her two daughters, ages nine and eleven, and awarded them to her former husband. He also wrestled with alcohol, but was far better at hiding his problem from the public. He managed to hold down his job and kept the rent paid. Ultimately, this was what swayed the court's decision. Sheila was glad the girls had a roof over their heads, but prayed daily there could be a different roof for them. Her former husband was so verbally abusive that the girls cried themselves to sleep almost every night. They weren't alone. Sheila cried herself to sleep most nights as well. When Sheila hit, hit bottom, she started to make several life-changes decisions. She stopped drinking, got herself cleaned up, and landed an excellent job. She held it down for over nine months, which was a personal record. Buying a house would be her next significant building block towards a new life. Sheila's driving motivation was to become worthy of winning custody of her children. After getting acquainted, Russ and Mary Sue dismissed themselves and went shopping. The potential buyers had a typical thorough look at the property. Satisfied, Sheila asked, what do I have to sign? <laughs> well, we could draw up an offer. How much would you like to offer? These, are, the, these are, are our type of people. I wouldn't dream of offering a penny less than they're asking. Of course, we discussed at length how real estate works and why they w may want to hire a buyer's agent to represent them in the sale. Uh, we can see these folks trust you. We do too. They hired you to sell this the house, so we figure you ought to be the one to sell it to us. In the conversation that followed, they persisted in their resolve to offer the list price and use the agent they hired. We wrote it up. Thrilled, I made an appointment with Russ and Mary Sue to present the full price offered. To my surprise, rather than be elated, Russ looked at me with re <laughs> resigned concern. You see, why didn't you believe me? It happened just the way the Lord told me. And look at the type of people buying my home. This home will be a part of the Lord's redemption in these people's lives. Golly. 
We went through the escrow process smoothly. Russ went above and beyond all expectations to make the home perfect for the new owners. He liked these people and wanted everything to be ship-shaped. On his own initiative, he fixed the floors and decided to finish the garage. To my delight and surprise, the bank's appraiser confirmed the value of 134000 Unbeknown to Russ, it turned out that the finished two-car garage was what the appraiser needed to make the valuation work. We had a smooth closing. Everyone went away happy. About a month later, I got a call from Russ. I want you to help me with something. Glad to. The Lord told me to give every penny of the proceeds of the home to Sheila. Silence on my end. Really? Russ was not a wealthy man. Those proceeds, those proceeds represented everything he had. Can he be serious? What should I do? Talk him out of it? After all, he hardly knew these people. Can you look up exactly how much I walked away with? I didn't have too many files to look through at this stage in my career and quickly answered $25,357. Thanks. Then Russ did it. He actually did it. He sent Sheila a check for $25,357. This act of generosity had to be won for the records. Russ and I attend a church that emphasizes equipping believers to discern and obey the voice of the Lord. Russ was obviously at the head of the class. Yet another few months, I got the call of a lifetime. Russ wanted an appointment to have me read a letter he received from Sheila. In the most passionate language imaginable, Sheila explained they had found a lawyer who could help them reverse the court's decision, which had granted her children's custody to the abusive father. Their elation was only to be tainted immediately with bitter hopelessness when they discovered the cost involved. Between attorney and court fees, they would need more than $25,000. On their incomes, this would take years to accumulate. But then I got your letter. Sheila hired the attorney and started the process. Sheila won. The children were happily released to live with their mother, now sober and liberated from the shackles of her addiction. They had a roof over their head, not just any roof, the covering of a home where love abounded, a roof under which Russ had spent hours praying and cultivating the love, joy, and peace of the Lord. I could barely make out Sheila's final line. The ink smudged by tears proclaimed, you brought, you brought my children out of hell. Isn't that amazing? That's just an amazing, when I read that, I was just, wow. There's a bunch of takeaways. First takeaway I can think of is that, you know, this all started from a guy who was praying for another brother in the, in the, in, that, he, that he knew. He just started praying for him. And, you know, that's the way it is. When we start to pray for one another, the Lord will give us stuff. To, to, he'll, he'll give us ways to, to help one another. The second thing is this brother had to be willing to follow through with what the Lord said. And so he got this word. Who knows how it came to him? Maybe in a vision. Maybe a, light, a little subtle vision that he had learned to put weight on. But he was convinced it was the Lord. It obviously took a month, I'm guessing, because he says something to him one in October, and it wasn't November until he called him back and said, yeah, come over, why don't you list the house, you know. But this was not something he wanted. It was just what the Lord spoke to him to help his, his friend. And he did it. And then you see how throughout the whole way, this gentleman's purpose was to be 
obedient to the Lord to help other people. And it went from selling his home he wasn't trying to sell, obeying the Lord and sticking to what the Lord showed him, sticking to his guns. And then when the Lord's word begins to be manifested, he went the extra mile. Um, Matt Peterson said something that he had learned from um, one of the guys that discipled him that when he said this, this, he said this probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and it stuck with me. This guy told Matt, he said, you sh- as a Christian, you should never, ever leave any place you go to the way it was. You should always leave it better. And that stuck with me. Now, this is kind of gross, but um, it's just an example. It stuck with me to the point that I never go into a, a, year, a, a stall, a bathroom stall, without wiping the seat if I use it and cleaning up the whole area. Because a Christian should always leave wherever he is better than he found it. And it struck me. I mean, we should, we're Christians. We should be redeeming the earth. And so I, anywhere I go, I try, to, I try to make it better. If, even if it's just picking up a can when I'm out somewhere, just pick up a can. Just do anything to make the world better than you found it. That's the heart of, 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 of Christianity. So... This guy's kind of got that mindset, and he goes on to he goes the extra mile because his his heart affection is love for these people and love for the Lord, and so out of his love for the Lord and love for these people, out of his own dollar and his own sweat, he finishes the garage. He's already got the full offer price. He didn't have to do this, but he finishes the garage and he fixes the house up. And that was the very thing that allowed this deal to go through. If he wouldn't have done that, the, the house wouldn't have praised and they wouldn't have got the loan. And then on top of that, he takes the proceeds and gives it back to them. What an amazing thing. So why don't I share that with you this morning? One, it's amazing. It's a great testimony. It touches your heart. It, 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 it encourages us to, to want to live lives like that. But it shows, I, I think it made the point that true ministry really is just having a heart for people and help want to help. And if we're called to make any place that we go to better, how much more so every relationship we meet? Every person you meet, your calling is to make that person better. And that is ministry. That's ministry. How can I love the person in front of me and make their life better? How? Now, this is not to become something where we're like running around the old adage. And if you don't, if English isn't your first language, this won't make sense. But you know, the old adage that running around like a chicken with its head cut off, you know, you cut a chicken's head off. It keeps running around everywhere, even though it's still is dead for a few minutes. Uh, that's, that's the whole um, expression to show how many times we run around just with this over energy trying to do stuff that that we're not supposed to be, you know, we're just, we don't need to do all that. It's just the simple obedience to the Lord and being, having a heart that's looking. See, most ministry opportunities are missed because we don't look for them. You know, Moses and the burning bush, right? He saw the burning bush, but it, it wasn't until he turned aside to look at it that the Lord spoke to him through the bush. And a lot of times the ministry opportunities that God has brought our way 
is like that, and we have to turn aside to be willing to turn aside to see what's going on here. Now, my biggest key to evangelism, or let's let me say, my biggest key for helping people, especially people that may not know the Lord, but for anybody, my biggest key is this one thing. If you get this right, I think the rest of it will come. Be willing. Be willing. Get a heart for it. Now, I do have a heart to, for, to reach people, but I'll, I have a flesh that gets, tries to stop that heart up. You know what I mean? Lots of things that fear, you know, uh, laziness. Those are probably my two biggest weaknesses. Well, I got another one too, but I've got a few more in there. But those two have been really big. You know, laziness and fear. Laziness is not being willing to do what you should do just because you don't feel like it or because it's difficulty. Difficult. Laziness kills us. God, it kills us. I could go, I'm not, for time's sake, I'm not going to go down that trail. I probably should teach on laziness sometimes. I'm still, still fighting that one. And fear. Here's how this works. If you turn over to John chapter 4, you don't have to, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, this is the, 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 how many know the story where Jesus talks to the woman at the well? Yeah, you know the story. Good. Well, uh, if you don't read it in John chapter 4, it's Jesus is ministering to a lady. Um, I think this was a divine appointment for sure. But I don't necessarily think Jesus saw this one coming right away. That's my own take on the story. And this is, let me explain, let me read why. It says, um, that Jesus, he left Judea and went away. This is verse 3. John chapter 4, verse 3, he, he, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. So why was Jesus there? To rest. He was tired. You ever been exhausted? You ever, I mean, back there, they weren't riding horses. They weren't in cars. They were journeying. They were walking. And he, he, he was walking. It says at the sixth hour of the day, depends on which sixth hour they're talking about. If they're talking about the Roman sixth hour or the Jewish sixth hour, determine what time. It could have been noon. It could have been six in the evening, okay, depending on what time period you're at, you're going with there. If it was six in the evening, I can't imagine walking all day, you know, and you get there at six o'clock and you're tired. You ever have those days where you just want to be left alone and just relax? This is when Jesus' ministry begins. He's tired. And about the sixth hour, and there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. You know, Jesus was, has never been too tired to minister. That's amazing to me. The thing that gets me the most about my hero, and I, he's my hero. I'm not just saying that. He, he is the toughest man that's ever lived on the earth. He is, he is an incredible. He is Superman. I wrote a song about it. I'll play it sometime. It's called Superman. He is Superman. 
This is a man who, I'm just going to throw this out there. Think about this a second. This is beyond understanding, but this is just the depth of the love that was inside that man. And I say the man, he was God, but he set aside deity to become fully man. He functioned on this earth as a man, fully. And he had been, he had had, the night before he was crucified, he was in anguish in his soul knowing what was coming. You ever been going through something that was tormenting, an anguish? How emotionally exhausting it is to have fear, the fear of what's coming. And he's dealing with that all night long. He's praying to the point that he actually was sweating blood. He's up all night praying, if that's not enough, to be tired. But then on top of that, he's he's sweating blood. I mean, that's that's the duress that was going on inside of him. And then he gets up just in time to be taken away to be start getting beat on. He gets beat, and then he gets crucified. But before the crucifixion party comes, he gets his flesh torn off of him by a cat of nine tails with 39 lashes. He'd been up all night. He'd been up all night in anguish. He goes through this brutal torment, and you know what he's and he's hanging on a cross, suffering. And what is he doing? John and his mother comes up to him and he starts ministering to him. Mother, this is your son. Son, he's looking after their needs. He's about to go. He's setting things straight before he takes off. Mother, this is your son. This son, this is your mother. He's saying, he's talking about the people, their father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In the midst of his fatigue and tiredness and exhaustion and, and just physical abuse, he's still ministering to the very end. That's our Lord. That's our Lord. Even when he was tired, he would minister. Often God's God moments to reach people arrive in the midst of our greatest inconveniences. That's how it happens. Not every time. I'm not, I mean, I'm not every time. And you have to have the spirit. You cannot get to the place to where you're, you're like, could this be the moment? Could this be the moment? Could this be the moment to where you're just tied in knots on this? I'm not talking about that. I've, ex- I've lived through that. I-, I know what that's like. I'm not trying to tie us in knots. You can't live like that. It'll kill you. It'll, it is, it's... But having the heart for people and the, and the realization in our heart that God wants to reach people and we're willing to be sensitive that when the Lord nudges us, we don't just keep going, but we stop and say, Lord, do you have something for somebody here? Are you wanting to reach somebody? And being willing to do that, and let me just throw a couple things out, and we're gonna, then we're gonna, I'm, we'll wrap up. You hold, hold off, Greg. Okay. Um, you know, we gotta have a willing heart, and that's something that I'm asking God to do, because you know, you know. As Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows that our flesh is weak. So, Lord, we're asking, 
that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, that we would become willing vessels, Lord, to be your hands and feet to people around us, that we would look to better every person that we come into contact with, everywhere we go, that we would be sensitive, not that we're trying to make it happen, but we're looking for the doors that you're opening that we could share about you and that we can do acts of service or that we can just somehow love on people who need it to reveal who you are to them, Lord. Help our flesh to get over it, to pick up our cross, to love other people. Lord, this is the crux of all ministry, loving our neighbor as ourself and loving them enough to be willing to engage. That's the crux of Jesus' ministry to this woman at the well. He was willing to engage somebody even when he didn't feel like it. I know he didn't feel like it. He was tired. He came there to rest. And yet he opened a dialogue with this lady. And he began to talk to her. And then he allowed the Lord to speak through him. And he ministered to her. And Lord, we want to be those same types of people. Lord, that you use to reach the world. There's people all around us that don't know you. And we can just share, hey, I love you. God loves you. I had a moment like that this week. I started, you know, I, you know, part of the prophetic thing is that God really doesn't scream a lot. He, st he speaks in a, a nudging, and we have to start turning to say, is this the Lord? I'm at a gas station in between here and Shalot where I was, I've been working, and um, I see this lady, and it was just like a little tiny thought that like the Lord wanted to to reach her. And I had a little tiny electrical little shoot. I don't know how to describe it. It's just like an electrical shoot that went through my middle finger, which to me, if you haven't heard this, that, that speaks of us reaching out to people. And I, I can explain that, but I'm not going to right now. But just trust me. And, I, um, and I'm like, Lord, is that you? I didn't want it to be the Lord. I didn't feel like it. I was, ex I've, I was exhausted. I've been f doing physical labor that I'm not used to. And make th matters worse, I was doing it by myself because my help's on vacation, Peter. <laughs> uh, and um, I was just exhausted. And I did not want to do this. And I just, I was, I, just, I walked past her numerous times in the store. And it was that little nudge in my, in my evangelism finger. I didn't have a word for her. I kept asking, Lord, what do you got? I, I didn't know what to say, but what is reaching out to people? Well, I can at least tell her this truth. Ma'am, I don't know you, but God wants you to know he loves you this morning. That's all I knew to do. I didn't have any high revelation. I just felt like I had to reach out to this lady. But I still wasn't sure. And I went, I passed her, went back out, still praying about it. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to miss this, but I don't, God. I'm wrestling with my flesh. And she finally comes out. And I had purposely just held on a second just to make sure, to give the Lord a moment to, to, to deal with me if this was really him. 
and I see her, and I and I and I, I, I felt like it was the Lord. And so I just went up to her. I said, "Ma'am," because she had to walk right past me. I said, "Ma'am, excuse me." I said, "I said you don't know me." I said, "But I just um, I'm a Christian, and when I saw you today, I just really felt the Lord's heart for you that He wanted you to know that He loves you so much that you're so special to Him." And she said, she stopped. She says, "I'm a Christian too." She's like, "I needed to hear that today." I can't tell you how many times where the Lord's done this to me. And I didn't have any. There's times I get prophetic words for people, but there's times I don't get anything, but the Lord says, reach out to them. And I would just say, God loves you. And I can't, I can't count how many times people have told me that exact line, I needed to hear that today. We just don't know. And all it takes is just the willingness to, to say, Lord, is this you? And to really want to hear the answer to that. Because sometimes we ask that, but we really don't want to hear the answer to it. Because we really don't want to be inconvenienced. Somebody's eternity, somebody's day, somebody's life. And we don't know the, the repercussions. Let's, let's think about this a minute. Let's say that woman's going through hell today. Just I don't know what was going on, but let's just say she's having the worst day. And she was going to go on in her day today, that day. And to act out in frustration and anger that affected other people around her. And in turn, those people, because of that frustration, turned around and started treating with frustrated ways other people. What if it was a ripple effect of negativity and bad things that could have happened? And me stopping to say, God loves you, shifted her attitude for that day. And that she was actually showing love that she just received to others for that day, which in turn impacted them to show love for people. And there was a ripple made through eternity that affected people's lives because of one little tiny act of obedience just to reach out. I believe that's really what happens. You can't make this happen, but if you don't engage with God in this, it won't happen. I have never been out to love on people, evangelism, without having God touch someone's life in a way that wouldn't have happened if I didn't go. Never. I have story after story of people getting touched by God when we would go out to do street evangelism. And all that is is just going up to strangers I don't know to minister to them and allowing God to be God. But you know, you don't have to go out on a Saturday. to do, You're going out everywhere you go. Just be sensitive and willing to reach out and to show Jesus to people. Does that make sense? All right, Lord, help us. <laughs> help us, Lord. I fail, Guys, I fail this too. I give you my good examples because I want you to see the good. I got plenty of bad examples where I've, I miss it. I, I know what I should do, but I don't do it. But Lord, give us grace. Help us keep, the, help us to shake off what lies behind and just, but Lord, set our face forward to run the race that is set before us, to run with endurance, to impact eternity by loving those people around us, however you tell us to do it, whether it's a sell in our house or, or just telling somebody, I love you, God loves you. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, I just have one more thing I wanted to uh, share with you guys from a different angle on that. Monday night, I had this phrase that just, just stopped me in my tracks. And the phrase was, fire doesn't fall on an empty altar. And uh, listening to Travis's message today uh, and reading as he was speaking, I was reminded of the scripture, for our God is a consuming fire. We all would say we want the fire of God in our lives. But fire will not fall on an empty altar. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. <laughs> right? Fire will not fall on an empty altar. If you're frustrated because you haven't felt the fire of God in your lives, fire of God will not fall on an empty altar. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to him and do not neglect doing good. Do not neglect Telling the lady at the gas station that God loves her. Do not neglect wiping the pee-pee off the seat. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. And I would like to interject, God consumes. One of the biggest tricks that the enemy has deceived the church by is thinking that you can come here and sing a song and not bring a sacrifice and call it Christianity. I think for too long, in too many ways, the altar has been empty because we weren't willing to give the $25,000 to Sheila. The altar has been empty for too long because instead of looking for who we can give a check to, we're too busy wondering where our check's coming from. I want the fire of God more than I want anything else. I want the fire of God more than I want anything that I would be afraid to put on the altar before him and say, God, consume everything that I am. There's no amount of money that's worth not having your fire in my life. There's no amount of possessions that's worth not having the fire of Jesus consuming every part of who I am. Fire will not fall on an empty altar. Yeah, Mount Bird. I love what he just shared. You know, that's, let there, there's, When you value him more than everything else, the fire, what's the sacrifice? Paul said, I, you know, I count all these things in this life to be as dung. Everything I've gained is dung. It's dung. That I might attain Christ and know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. 
and I'm and I'm I'm feeling that, and I'm asking the Lord to let that burn in me, and I pray it burns in you that we would value Him more than anything that He asks us to put on the altar.